Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Can you believe we're this deep into the NFL season? We got to make every second count. With DraftKings Sportsbook, you can make the most out of every game. Bet on your favorite teams for a shot at winning big bucks. New customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting $5 on any matchup. So right now, get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the app now and use the code JOHN. New customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just 5 bucks on the NFL. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code JOHN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort Kansas, must be 21 or older in eligible states, but ages vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. <laughs> What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, Three and Out Podcast. The red hot Denver Broncos take down the Buffalo Bills. And let's be real, the Bills are screwed. I mean, the Bills season, I, I don't want to say it feels like it's over, but it kind of feels like it's over. And Denver, sneaky alive. Sean Payton, Russell Wilson, resurrecting that franchise. We'll dive into some thoughts on Dan Campbell, Robert Sala. Antonio Pierce, C.J. Stroud is just balling. Uh, Belichick, the Brownies refuse to lose in Baltimore. A lot of football talk, and obviously as well as uh, the Middlecoff mailbag, at John Middlecoff. 
at John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire in those DMs. Get your question answered here on the show. The mailbag, very easy to do. If you listen on Colin's feed, make sure you subscribe to the 3 and Out feed. We also now have a specific YouTube channel for all the 3 and Out podcasts. We'll put it all up video form online. So if you go to uh, the Volumes channel, we have a bunch of links. You can just type it into YouTube. 3 and Out has its own channel. Go subscribe to that. We will eventually have golf stuff on there as well in 2024. So all of our content in one place. Go check that out. And like I said, if you subscribe to Collins Podcast, make sure you subscribe to 3 and Out, wherever you may listen. Appreciate everyone listening. Hope you guys had a uh, good Monday and enjoy. That that Buffalo-Denver game was pretty bananas. Uh, It was a boring bananas. But it definitely had its moments where you're like, oh my God, I, I can't believe that just happened. Grab your smartphone and go to a little thing we call your app store. And when you go to your app store, download a little application that happens to be the official ticketing app of this podcast, GameTime. When you download the GameTime app, sign up for any pair of tickets. You a Buffalo Bills fan? Do you want to watch potentially the last couple games of Sean McDermott's career? Are you a college football fan? Do you like the NBA? Do you like any sport? Do you, do you want to go watch Taylor Swift in Argentina with Travis Kelsey and take it all in? Well, I got you covered. Game time, promo code John, $20 off your first pair of tickets. These inflationary times, getting you a little bit of a discount. Concerts, comedy shows, you name it. Game time, download that app right now. And when you do, use that promo code John. J-O-H-N, my name, $20 off your first pair of tickets. The Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson and Sean Payton just went on the road and took out Bill's Mafia. That is one of the craziest things I think we've seen all season. I did not expect it. I don't care how bad everyone writing off Buffalo, how bumpy it's been, how bad Josh Allen has been on Monday Night Football. Even though it took them basically 58 minutes to take the lead in this game, which they did on the Josh Allen touchdown run, I thought, you know, listen, this Bills team is a shell of itself, but they're not going to lose to Denver. And then what happened at the end of the game happened. And before we dive into Josh Allen, and let's face it, on Monday Night Football this year and Sunday Night Football, he's been a disaster. Sean McDermott, listen, when you're the head coach, you're responsible for everything, especially all of your coordinators. And that situation at the end of the game with 12 men on the field is an embarrassment if you're a head coach. It's one thing when you're coaching a Josh Allen or a Brett Favre, you know, a gunslinging type player. Eli Manning went through this and they're Phillip Rivers and they're just throwing picks. You know, I think it's easy for us to be critical of the coach, but Sean McDermott is not telling him to throw it to the guy that's double covered or throw it to the underneath defender and hit him in stride. But when there's 12 men on the field in a situation like that, even in a dire situation, which the kicker should make with his eyes closed, and he misses, and it doesn't count, and they get a second shot, I'm not saying that's the nail in the coffin because Sean McDermott has helped resurrect this franchise. I've known him for a long time. Uh, I think he's a very, very impressive guy. What he's done with Buffalo speaks for itself. I mean, they, they were a joke before he showed up. They've rattled off, I think, 13, 11, and 13 wins the last three seasons. That They've been right there in the mix as one of the best teams in the AFC. 
right? They haven't got over the hump. They, they haven't made the Super Bowl. Hell, they've struggled to get to the championship game. That devastating loss a couple years to the Chiefs. Obviously, the loss last year to the Bengals. Tonight's about as bad of a loss as you can have, given the way it ended. You got bailed out, even though you deserve to lose that game. This world and football is not about what you deserve. It's a result-oriented business. And the fucking guy missed the field goal. But to have 12 men on the field in that situation, that's something as an ownership group, as a fan base, it's hard to forget that moment. And when you're in a situation as a team, let's face it, the AFC, you're going to need, I think, 11 wins to make a wild card. Maybe 10. But when you're 5-4 and four and you're like, hey, listen, we get to 6-4, and four, we got the Jets coming up, we're 7-4, and four, and then we get this insane stretch of at Philly, at KC, Cowboys. Even if we're 7-4 and four and we lose all three games, we're 7-7, seven and seven, we still got the Patriots, we still go to Miami, who we match up very well against. Like, we can get to 10 wins still, right? Now you're fucked. Like, it's over. Like, I- I'm sorry, the Bills, never in a million years would I have predicted this. I thought a lot of people predicting the Bills' demise at the beginning of the season were borderline on drugs. They're not making the playoffs. Like, it's over. You can't lose to the Denver Broncos at home when you're one game above 500 and Thanksgiving is right around the corner and you have a stretch of football at Philly, at Kansas City, Cowboys. That's got to be one of the tougher three-game stretches in the league. I think I saw someone put up on Twitter that according to, I don't know if it was ESPN or whatever, they have the third hardest schedule remaining in the NFL. Bills aren't making the playoffs. Now, big picture, Sean McDermott, does he deserve to get fired? Right, one bad year after all he's done? No, but these owners now, the amount of wealth that they're throwing into this team, the amount they're spending on this squad, the amount of money they have to fire guys, I would say he's in a little jeopardy. I mean, he made a pretty bold move this offseason after getting embarrassed by the Bengals when he fired Leslie Frazier. He took over the defensive coordinator situation, and now his quarterback, let's face it, has regressed. I mean, he's throwing picks. And listen, this happens. I remember it happened to Brett Favre. You have a year, but when you have a year and your team's not as good, all of a sudden you look up, you're 8-9. and nine. You're missing the playoffs. And you go, well, we got one of the top quarterbacks, and a big reason you're missing the playoffs is because of that guy. And once you lose all these defensive players, you need him to be a fucking ass kicker. You need him to be one of the elites in the league, where he's been. And right now you're watching him, you're going, what is going on? Josh, where are you throwing the ball? And I get it. He's going to be more turnover prone than some quarterbacks because he's not that accurate. And he's going to try some passes that other guys should never dream of pulling off, let alone ever attempting to pull off. That's part of the package with him. But right now it feels like a lot of those passes and those throws are not even close to being completed. It's like, what is, what am I watching? And I love this player. I'm a huge Josh Allen fan, but he looks like a disaster right now. So the team, clearly the coaching, it's off. 12 men on the field in that situation, that, that, that's as low level it gets in the NFL as humanly possible. It doesn't, it's like, that, that's as embarrassing as, as possible. Like, it, do, it doesn't get any worse than that. But when your star quarterback, who is viewed as a top two or three guy in the league, is throwing the ball constantly to the other team, 
and your team just as a whole is not as good, this is what you get. And the Bills are in complete shambles last night and this season. They deserve to lose that game. I mean, they were getting thoroughly, I thought, outplayed most of the game. Cook could have had, it felt like, seven fumbles. I mean, on the one big run where he fumbled and the ball bounced back to him. I think we all have to admit, I love football. I love everything that's part of the reality television show that is the NFL. That's about as lucky of a bounce as you're ever going to see. That was crazy. If we simulated that a hundred times, a guy breaking you know, through some defenders, getting the ball punched out, how often that ball would bounce back to the offensive ball carrier, it might be one in a hundred. I mean, at most three in 100. So the chances of that, just him falling on it would probably be 10 in 100, let alone not having to break stride, continue to run. Uh, so you thought maybe the football gods were shining down on them, but they clearly weren't. And the Bills are borderline screwed. Like, I think their season's over when it comes to making the playoffs in the AFC. And on the flip side, I'm guilty of this. I crushed this team. I thought from the jump, some of the things Sean Payton was doing, some of the things he was saying, I'm like, this is, something just feels off. Was this just a money grab? Was this like a Jimbo Fisher, the Texas A&M, they just offered him, or Lincoln Riley to go to USC? They just cut him a check that he couldn't refuse. It's like, he's already rich, but it's like, hey, Here's $90 million over five years. Like, yeah, you know, I, I like working at Fox. I like hanging out at Manhattan Beach. I like my pad in uh, Aspen, Colorado. But, you know, let's do it. <laughs> I'll take your money, even though I don't even love your roster. I don't even know your general manager. And that's what it felt like. But one thing Sean Payton's starting to do is kind of have a little muscle flex. And his team looks dramatically better than it did the first three or four games. I mean, obviously, they've won three straight. They, I understand he was sick, had the flu. They just had their one bad game, but they beat the shit out of the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs, they turned them, their, their defense from that game where they had 70 points scored on them. And let's face it, you get 70 points scored on you in peewee football, let alone college football. But the NFL, everyone's going to make fun of you because they're going to view your team as a joke. And somehow he held this together. He, he got rid of some guys, shipped out Randy Gregory. Frank Clark, and held strong with Vance Joseph, which I thought was just never going to work. And now you look at a team that is kind of trending in the right direction. They're they're four and five. Uh, like I said, they've won three straight games. I'm not saying I, I wouldn't pick them to make the playoffs by any means, but if he can just have this team around eight or nine wins, it would be pretty impressive. And the one thing that he has done that's not even debatable is, and listen, I... I'm supposed to hate Seattle. I'm a 49er guy, but I've always had a soft spot for Pete Carroll. I love the way the Richard Sherman group, the way they play defense, their physicality. And I'm just a fan of just electricity when it comes to my athletes, right? Like my favorite players as a kid were like Brett Favre, Ken Griffey Jr., Barry Sanders. And Russell Wilson for three or four years was as special of a player as I've ever seen. Now, was it within the confines of the offense? Was it always his offensive line's fault that he was getting sacked? He was running into sacks? Sure. I mean, he wasn't the easiest guy to play with. But he made magic happen. And that guy, really the last year in Seattle, and then the version we saw last year, it was like, what's going on? And clearly that version is probably never coming back. He's older. He's not as quick. 
I did think there were some moments tonight where you're like, hey, that kind of looks like 2017 Russ. I mean, the pass he threw the touchdown in the corner of the end zone, that had 2016, 17, 18 written all over it. And a couple of those little scrambles, which he's clearly not as fast as he once was, and the little rugby pitch pass, like that's something he was not doing when he was playing like shit. Now, he's never going to be able to live up to the contract. And if he hit the open market, no one would sniff that amount of money. But he's more than a serviceable starting quarterback right now. I mean, against the Buffalo Bills on the road. Now, granted, they're missing several starting defenders that are out for the season. But you go 24-29 on Monday Night Football, throw a couple touchdowns, and just for the most part, weren't was in pretty complete control. Sean Payton deserves credit for that, for just turning this guy back into, like, yeah, an above-average player. A guy that if my defense plays well, we can compete to win football games. Because he wasn't that guy the first couple weeks, and he definitely wasn't that guy in 2022 with Nathaniel Hackett. So when things are going bad, if we're all going to shit on him, you got to give the guy his praise. You got to give the guy his flowers. Russell and, and Sean Payton, like pretty impressive little stretch of football from the Denver Broncos. And if I'm a Bronco fan, you know, they're a group that, let's face it, kind of hid for a while because of the embarrassment that was everything that was becoming of the football franchise. I'd show a little pride. I'd walk into work tomorrow, you know, with your head held high, with your chest pumped out. So impressive victory from Denver. A couple other things around the NFL. I was really thinking about this today because we're talking so much about Belichick and the Belichickian crew. I think one thing that those guys really struggle with is having self-confidence in their ability to be authentic to who they are, but also coach. Because I think when they coach, they just try to act like Bill. But no one is truly wired. Hell, no one's wired like anyone else but themselves. We all have similarities and characteristics that other people share. But every individual is so different from every individual, even if we have, you know, a lot in common. And I think one thing that that New England crew always struggled with is ever figuring out who you are. And I think the only way you can ever figure out who you are, especially as a leader, is have a lot of confidence and belief in yourself. And I think watching that Charger-Lions game and thinking a lot about it on Monday, one reason I think Dan Campbell is really excelling is I think he's very comfortable in his own skin. I, 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 I see a guy that is very comfortable with his strengths and weaknesses. Like, no one's ever going to get him confused with being Belichick or being Bill Walsh, being some Andy Reid schematical, you know, genius. That's not his deal. But that was never Bill Parcells' deal either. And who was the guy that taught Dan Campbell mostly everything he knows? Bill Parcells. He was a Parcells guy. Played for him and then worked for him as an assistant coach. But then when he went to work with Sean Payton, I was talking to this uh, about this with Colin on Sunday night, is I think he saw a lot of what Sean Payton could do. Unlike Parcells, Sean Payton's calling the game. But he also has an element of being really aggressive. And you saw Dan Campbell in that game going forward on fourth down. Whenever you watch his post-game speeches, he still has like this, I'm almost still a player vibe to him. But this leadership vibe that John Harbaugh, that Mike Tomlin, guys like that have gotten so much credit, Mike Vrabel, for so long. And I think when you watch Dan Campbell, why he's having success, 
is I think he's just very true to himself. Now, obviously, they have a really talented team. He has good assistant coaches. He's hired well. His GM is good. Like, it's not just him. But I, I think sometimes we've seen these guys get exposed really fast. They feel kind of fraudulent. And we've been talking a lot about that over the years with Brandon Staley. I think he's trying to be a football coach, right? Like thinking of what a good football coach would say in certain moments instead of just being himself. Well, of course, he look at his experience at this level. It's actually not that long. So it's harder for him to be authentic because to be authentic takes the self-confidence. The only way to build that is feel very comfortable in everything you're doing. And I watch Dan Campbell. I see a guy that, yeah, I've been in the league for 20 years, player and a coach. I know what the fuck I'm doing. Do I think I'm Belichick or do I think I'm Bill Walsh or Bill Parcells? No, not yet. But I think I'm pretty damn good. And my team reflects that. Because look at his record from the second half of last year to this season. That team is winning and they are winning a lot. When you watch that team, you go, the other thing that's objectively just, I mean, it's a fact right now. When you play in a dome, Jared Goff's the top six or seven quarterback in the NFL. Get him outside, different story. But you just watch him in a dome, he can go toe-to-toe with Justin Herbert. He can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Holmes. Outside, Lamar Jackson, got problems. <laughs> so as long as they're playing in a dome, which they're going to play in a lot because they literally play in a dome, and more than likely they're going to win 13, 14 games, meaning they'll probably be the two seed, very good chance, very good chance to be strong. They do have a, they do have a chance to be the one seed. I think the Lions, this is not smoke and mirrors. The coach believes it, their team believes it, and they definitely got the talent. And speaking of a guy... I was making fun of it last week about Robert Sala's beard. Last night, it kind of bothered me. And I got no problem. I understand, like, I make fun of Ryan Day for coloring his beard. But I do understand recruiting, college football, little little different animal. How you present yourself kind of matters, right? There's a reason Nick Saban is always dressed really nice. I, I personally think it's a little overrated, but in the South, he's old school. I get it. So Ryan Day colors his beard, probably wants to look a little younger when he's recruiting. And based on the recruiting, it's working. It's not like it's not working. So while I can make fun of him being the spokesman for Just For Men, I, I get it. Like that's, he's, being a salesman as a college coach is a big part of your job. As an NFL coach, absolutely nobody cares what you look like. Whether you're fat, whether you're skinny, whether you're short, whether you're tall, whether you're bald, whether you got gray hairs everywhere, it does not matter one iota. It's completely irrelevant. I mean, the best coach in the league, Andy Reid, is a big boy. And he's been big for a long time. The guy before him that was widely considered the greatest coach of all time is a short, lumpy guy named Bill Belichick. What you look like, who cares? And I was thinking about this. Robert Sala, unless his wife, if I, if I own the Jets, if his, if his wife mandates that he colors his beard, then listen, happy wife, happy life. But if she's got nothing to do with it, and honestly watching him, I thought, why is he obsessed with how he looks? When his, You can't be worried about shit like that when you lose. Like You don't have a winning record. You're not like the number one seed. You're struggling. You're holding on for dear life to be above 500, to be a 500 football team. And you're coloring your beard? Like, what are we doing? You should be worried about one thing and one thing only. How do we get first downs? What can I do as a head coach working with my general manager to improve our offense? I'm the head coach. What I look like is completely irrelevant, right? It it does not matter. My team, 
My offense is broken. This guy we drafted number two overall, clearly he's never going to live up to the billing, but he's sailing the boat right now. <laughs> no one else can help us. We didn't trade for anybody. This is our guy. How can I help him? And I, and I do think that reflects, like, our priorities in the right spot. And I like Robert Sala. I'm a Robert Sala fan. And I, at first, when I was making fun of him for the no gray hairs, it, I, I was joking. It really kind of hit me last night, like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we thinking about, Robert? Are we thinking about our next career in media? You, you want to call football games for CBS or Fox? Because you know you're going to get fired? Is that, is that what we're doing here? Because that's what it kind of feels like. And on the flip side, I think Mark Davis desperately wants for just Antonio Pierce to win some games and have to hire him. I think as an owner, once you hire a coach as you know to be your full-time head coach, the last thing in the world you want to do is go through that process again. Interview a bunch of people. You got to cut checks to pay people to go away. You got to, this guy's going to have a bunch of wants. You got to pay all his coordinators. Financially, it costs you a lot of money. You got to meet all these new people. It's a pain in the ass. The best case scenario, Lions hire Dan Campbell. It works and we go. Rams hire McVay. Niners hire Shanahan. You're just my coach for a while. I don't even have to think about like, who are the best coordinators? Who do I need to interview? We got to do Zooms. Then we got to fly to them. Then I got to fly to me. It's like, it's a pain in the ass, right? You would always rather just hire the right guy and never have to worry about it. But when you do hire the wrong guy, you better make the move fast. And I gave Mark Davis credit for that. But just a couple years ago, and we've talked about this before, he regrets, he doesn't regret it, but clearly it did not work out when he didn't hire Rich and he went with Josh McDaniels. He wants to hire Antonio Pierce. And listen, do, are the Raiders that much better? That they're The same guys are rolling out there than when Josh McDaniels was a coach a couple weeks ago. They don't look that dramatically different from a personnel standpoint. They clearly are playing harder, and they 100% like this guy dramatically more. But like I watched Max Crosby. He's been playing this hard. Whether Josh McDaniels coached him, whether Mike Mayock was the general manager, whether Antonio Pierce is coaching the team. The guy plays his ass off every snap, whether me and you were on the sideline. But... There is a different energy when you watch them play. Now, it's going to get a lot harder. They still play the Chiefs. This week, they play the Dolphins. Like, are they some real contender now? I wouldn't go that far. But if I'm Mark Davis, like, I'm two games in. I feel like I made the right move. And they're 5-5. Five and five, So they have seven games left. I think if he can get to 9-8. and eight, Now, I don't think 9-8 and eight gets in the playoffs. But I think 9-8 and eight gets in the job. Now, it might not be one of these six-year contracts like Josh McDaniels got or Dan Campbell got. That's not going to happen. But maybe he gives them like a three-year deal. And Antonio Pierce is at minimum the coach for the next several years. And it just kind of mellows everything out because they do have a lot of really good players. I mean, they got one of the best pass rushers in the league. They got one of the best wide receivers in the league. They have other good offensive weapons. Like Jacoby Myers is a good player. Obviously, Hunter Renfro has proven he's one of the better slots. Josh Jacobs is a stud at running back. They shouldn't have been as bad as they were. And I also think that reflects why so many executives and owners often butt heads with their head coach because coaches will do such short-sighted things. Well, Brian Hoyer, he knows the offense. It's like, Brian Hoyer sucks. I don't care if he knows every offense that every coach in football has ever created. If we play this guy, we are going to lose. Like, that's a fact, Jack. We, we cannot start this guy in 2023 and think we have any chance to win. Even if it's on the road against a team starting a Division II quarterback. 
and you see Aiden O'Connell. Is Aiden O'Connell the next Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen? Of course not. But does Aiden O'Connell give them some life and give them some juice? Hell yeah. So I'm rooting for Antonio Pierce, and I would say right now, just find a way to go 4-3 and three in these last seven games, and the job's yours. Not going to say I called it, because the bold take of the week is just that. We get bold. We swing for the fences. But last week I said that C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans would go into Cincinnati, and they would not only upset the Bengals, but C.J. Stroud would throw his hat into the ring for the MVP conversation. Well, as we found out tonight, Josh Allen, he, he's not in it. Lamar Jackson definitely fell off. You know, Joe Burrow definitely still in it. Uh, but I would say, I don't think C.J. Stroud necessarily is going to be the MVP, but he's definitely the lock offensive rookie of the year, and he's got an opportunity to save a franchise. And we've been talking about this now for several weeks. If you're the Houston Texans, every day when everyone involved in that building, and I'm not talking necessarily players, but every executive, every coach, when they you know, pull out their badge and go in that side door, however they get in the office, they're lucky to come into work. Because in the NFL, when you don't have a quarterback, you really got no chance. You know, it takes, look at what the Pittsburgh Steelers are doing. They're holding on for dear life every single week. When you have one of these guys, you can win every single way. And think about this, like, if he just maintained this level of play the next 10 years, you're in awesome position. Like, this is, that's all, wait, you're just going to throw 35 touchdowns a year? (laughs) You know, this this is all you're going to do? Is just do this? You'd be fine. He's going to get better. There's a natural improvement that happens the more you do anything, the more you experience something, the more, I don't care what you do, the more comfortable you will be at doing that. Doesn't mean it's not always going to be this easy. He is going to have some games like he did against Carolina. He's going to have a game where he throws three picks. But his high end, it's not even disputable at this point, is really freaking high. He throws, I mean, an absolute beautiful ball. And I'll say it every single week, that that ability to layer throws between defenders is just a game changer. And the other thing, like watching Josh Allen tonight, when you have a howitzer, right, when you throw 100 miles an hour, when you have Brett Favre or Josh Allen's arm, when you hit, you know, if you're a golfer and you're Bryson DeChambeau and you can drive it 360 yards, you're always going to lean on that. But you're also going to get in trouble with that, right? There's a reason Brett Favre and Josh Allen throw some picks that other people wouldn't even attempt to try because they don't have the arm capability to pull that off. Well, that's what makes guys like C.J. Stroud, which really is more in the world of, I'm not comparing him to this player, but of the Peyton Manning, I would say Phillip Rivers. He's got a good arm, but he's got to hang his hat on accuracy, timing, and that's how he's going to win. Now, he'll push the ball down the field, but he does not by any means have some howitzer. And I think timing, rhythm, and this offense. I remember a guy, and I think I've said this on the podcast, that uh, is part of a franchise that interviewed and ended up hiring one of the Shanahan guys. And the way the Shanahan guy described the offense is we're going to need the quarterback. We're ideally going to run the ball more than we pass it. And if we pass it 25 to 30 times a game, 50 to 60% of those passes are going to be baked in layups, right? Right boots and waggles on the movement, dumping it off to the running back, dumping it off to the tight end, or even dumping it off on a crossing route. 
it's a built-in, essentially a one-route concept in the passing game. It's very easy. It's why if you're a good player, you you can inflate your numbers that way, i.e. Matt Ryan, honestly, kind of what Purdy's doing. But you do have to have, whether it's 12 throws a game, whether it's eight throws a game, and with CJ, it's a little more because they're, they're throwing it a little more. But we don't need you to have these Peyton Manning just 50 attempt games, right? Josh Allen has them. Mahomes has them. That's not the way the offense is necessarily built. Though he's proven because of his, his training at Ohio State, like, hey, I can throw the ball a shitload. I, I like to. I'm comfortable doing that. And I'm accurate enough. And I have a good enough understanding of where to go with the ball that it's safe to do it. Because a lot of quarterbacks don't mind throwing the ball. You just can't trust him in that situation. And he's proven time and time again that he can be trusted. The other skill you have to have is whether you get sacked in an inopportune time, whether you throw a terrible pick, you have to have basically a memory like a goldfish. You have to be able to forget fast. You cannot worry about what just happened because it can derail you. Mentally, it can break you as a quarterback because when you get back in the huddle, and C.J. Stroud, I guess it technically wasn't a pick six, but it might as well have been. When he makes just a devastating, what looked like at the time, interception, he could go into the tank. But ultimately, when you get the ball back, you go back in the huddle, and all 10 guys are looking at you. So if you're sulking, if your head's down, which actually would be pretty understandable, 22, 23-year-old rookie, keep your head high, show confidence. That's what all the top quarterbacks have in the back. They're unfazed by that. They got the... You know, the bulletproof skin. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. Like, they're not phased by a mistake. And he's showing that pretty young. So, if I'm a Texans fan right now, I, I don't know, man. It's, 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 it'd be hard to be much more excited than you are. Let's go to a little Morgan and Morgan right now. The player who made it look easy. And I've been critical on this guy. I've talked a lot of shit about him, but I got to give Russell his flowers. I mean, Russell Wilson, 24-29, the first touchdown throw he had in the corner of the end zone, that that looked like vintage Russ. That looked like the guy that you went middle of a Seattle career. This is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Well, the conversation's changed a little bit the last couple years, but Russell's really, I, I give him a lot of credit. Because not only would it have been easy to go in the tank, and listen, some of his positivity can drive guys that you know can lean a little negative, like myself, a little nuts. But he just kept swinging, and he's definitely improved over the last couple of years. And it feels like in a short period of time, I'm trying to overreact here, resurrecting his career a little bit, uh, at least getting the train back on the tracks. And for a long time, and I'm as guilty as anyone, I thought that train like movie style, flying off the bridge, down into the gully, full of water and rocks, blowing up. Like, I thought it was over. And now it feels like it's just back on the tracks, headed in the right direction. And for a guy that they owe a lot of money, there's been a lot of conversation about, you know, are they going to trade him? Sean Payton hate him. And I've been part of that conversation. 24-29, couple touchdowns, lead him on a game-winning drive, just being kind of in complete control most of the game, just looking... I wouldn't say like his peak self, but just like a solid NFL quarterback is something I didn't see coming. So if you're ever injured, you can check out Morgan and Morgan. Their fee is free unless they win. For more information, go to forthepeople.com slash 
John, J-O-H-N. Or pound law. That's pound 529 from your cell phone. That's F-O-R for the people dot com slash John or pound law pound 529 from your cell. For a limited time, Verizon customers can get Netflix and NFL Plus for just $25 a month with Plus Play. That's $120 in annual savings. Plus Play is a platform where Verizon customers can shop, manage, and save on the descriptions you already love, like Netflix and NFL Plus. With NFL Plus Premium, you get access to live games on mobile, NFL Red Zone, NFL Network, and more. Just go to verizon.com slash plus play to bundle and save on Netflix and NFL Plus today for a limited time only. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, a couple more things around the NFL. One consistent theme of this season. Cleveland did not need Deshaun Watson to be a top five quarterback. They just needed him to be a top 15 quarterback. They just needed him to be some of those Jimmy Garoppolo versions in San Francisco. Not the guy we've seen this year in Oakland or Vegas, but just a middle of the road with some above average performances and let the defense cook. And early on in that game, and honestly through the second half, it's 24-9 after Beckham scores. You're like, God, Cleveland, their quarterback situation is a disaster. Now, your boy, like many other people on the social media streets, might have been talking a lot of shit. And then they came storming back. Now, Lamar Jackson had an awful pick in the second half. The Ravens just kind of stumbled. And Deshaun Watson was awesome. And relative to his Browns career, easily the best Browns performance for him. You know, 14-14 in the second half. He ran in a two-point conversion. He threw a touchdown. And ultimately, they don't even need him to be that good against most teams. Obviously, the Ravens are one of the better teams in the NFL. But they're going to play teams that aren't that good. They just need him to be middle of the road. And I, I just saw before I started recording, he's he's having an MRI on his ankle. He, he's pretty beat up as a player, right? From potential concussion to sh- the sh- shoulder injury, now an ankle injury. They just need him to be solid. They, they don't need him to be, as Dabo Sweeney once said, Michael Jordan or Superman. Just be middle of the pack. Now, they're not paying for middle of the pack, but we've talked about the cap implications. Their team is so good on defense. Miles Garrett, to me, is easily the defensive player of the year so far this season. Their DBs are awesome. I mean, Newsom, that pick six, now fell right into his arm. But that ability, they're a fun team to watch on defensively. Now, offensively, the quarterback play, when it looked like P.J. Walker was going to come in for a second, I do think that's a better win for the Browns than it is a bad loss for the Ravens. Though, you could argue you're up 24-9 at home in the second half, and you're a fucking powerhouse. You can't lose the game. But divisional games, weird stuff happens. Their quarterback, we can't forget, he is owed after you know the beginning of this year $229 million. So at one point in time, he, he was a really good player. But props to Cleveland. Props to Stefanski. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on this franchise, right? Simply, there just is. Because if they were to miss the playoffs, which it doesn't look like they're going to, coach is for sure fired. You could argue, depending on how it looks in the playoffs, a lot of heats on Stefanski. Jim Schwartz, the defense is awesome. If they were to fire Stefanski, you'd think they would just elevate him. It's kind of been his M.O. in his career to try to backstab a little bit. Uh, he attempted to do that to Doug Peterson, but then Doug won a Super Bowl. I don't know if that's going to happen to Stefanski. Like, I don't think the Browns are going to win a Super Bowl. But if their quarterback play is just solid, their defense is so good, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they make some serious noise in the AFC playoffs. And let's face it, yesterday was a freaking great day for them. Bengals lose at the end of the game to the Texans. They are playing the Ravens, right? So two teams that they're trying to catch, I wouldn't put my money on them winning the division, but when your defense is that dominant and at any moment can score, can create a turnover, I don't know, man. I, I saw this team beat the shit out of the 49ers. Not a big... People think I'm an Ohio hater. I don't like Ohio State. Nothing against the Browns. I actually have a lot of uh, respect for the passion of their fan base. Not a big Deshaun Watson guy after everything that happened. Uh, not going to find myself rooting for him. But likes Stefanski. Jim Schwartz clearly is a fantastic defensive coordinator. 
not a huge Flying J guy either. Uh, not rooting for that ownership. But the, the Browns, if I'm a Browns fan, <laughs> I'm pumping my chest high. And the Ravens, God, they, they always do this. You know, every time you're like, oh, they're in cruise control. Nope, not so fast. Lamar, you can't turn the ball over. You can't, and that's kind of always been his bugaboo in some of these big spots. That's why they've underachieved in the playoffs. I, I was picking him to win the MVP a couple weeks ago. The great part about football, man, you only get one of these a week. Things change really fast. Opinions change. It's very fluid. It's like the stock market. You can't just own yourself to one take because at a moment's notice, an injury, poor play can derail you. I mean, Ronnie Stanley goes down in that game. Who knows his status? Now what's going on Thursday? They play the Bengals. Pretty big game for both those teams. I mean, borderline must win for the Bengals given where they stand in the standings You know, in that division. Speaking of must-win, there are no must-wins anymore for New England. I watched way too much of that game. An utter embarrassment. And I remember when the 49ers fired uh, Jim Harbaugh. They claimed mutually departed, and they went to Jim Tom Sula, and then the Chip Kelly. The fan base became very apathetic. You know, it was like, we're not going to consume this. You're not going to make money off us. We despise what we're watching. And it's different in New England because Bill's still there. And any New England fan, we've argued a lot about this on the mailbag over the year, about Patriot fans, like, I'm sorry, you got to suck it up. These just suck, but you had 20 freaking years that every single fan base would sign up for gladly. So this is usually how it goes. But it's as ugly as it possibly could be. I mean, their offense is literally unwatchable. Mac Jones is an unwatchable player, right? At least... If you're a Bears fan, you're like, well, we got two picks. They're going to be in the top five or six. We're probably going to get the number one overall pick. We're going to fire Eberflus. So, yeah, this franchise, historically, you can't put much faith into them, but at least we're about to have hope. Like, the Patriots right now don't feel that hopeful, but the only thing to hope for, and listen, I'm a pro-Belichick guy. I will defend him because I think it's so easy, and I told Coward this on Sunday night, and I'll say this till the day I die. Well, what's he without Brady? Well, what would Walsh have been without Joe Montana? What would Mike Holmgren been in Green Bay without Brett Favre, right? Tony Dungy's in the Hall of Fame. Might want to shake Peyton Manning's hand, right? Sean Payton just got $90 million from the Denver Broncos. Thank you, Drew Brees, right? Mike Tomlin hasn't won a playoff game in a long time. Last I checked, when he had young peak Ben Roethlisberger rattling off a lot of victories. (laughs) I mean, making some runs in the playoffs. So to be a good coach... You have to have a good quarterback. John Harbaugh won a Super Bowl. Joe Flacco got as hot as humanly possible. Same thing with Tom Coughlin. Eli Manning, for a month and a half straight, became the best quarterback in the league. So to be a good coach, to be a championship-winning coach, you need a great quarterback. You need a Hall of Fame guy or a a really good player to get just, you know, otherworldly hot. So I'm not acting like Belichick's the village idiot. But listen... Everyone in the business I used to work in will say, like, people when they were winning championships wanted out. Why? They didn't pay that much money if you were in scouting, and he didn't listen to you. So you just were kind of irrelevant. Now, you got to build your resume because you worked for the Patriots. You probably got a Super Bowl or two, and it changed the course of your life. But when you were there, it was miserable. But it was worth it. Like, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. There was some gold when you were digging. You're like, "I I see where this is going. This isn't just a pointless exercise, which can happen sometimes in football. As a player, as a coach, as an exec in the NFL, when you're part of shitty teams, you're like, what is the point of any of this? And with New England, there always was a point. 
we're going to the AFC Championship. More than likely, we're going to the Super Bowl, and there's like a 40% chance we're going to win the fucking thing. Those days are so long gone, it's not even funny. They're an embarrassment. And I've said this over and over with Bill, and I get it, like he's comfortable around his people. I've known some old people that had a lot of money. They usually don't change their ways, become more progressive and open-minded in their 70s. It's not the way the world works. They usually stick with what's got them there. And a lot of times, as the world changes in any industry, that can be your downfall. You got to be willing to pivot. Like, ultimately, Pete Carroll, he's a good example. Like, Pete Carroll hadn't changed at all. He just literally got rid of Russell Wilson. He shorted Russell Wilson as a player. Turned out he was right. Then they hit on a bunch of draft picks after that trade, and they already had some impact players. But Pete Carroll's the same guy. <laughs> it's not like his coaching philosophy has changed at all. Their, their change and their pivot back to success was just punting on Russell Wilson and being right about it. Belichick has been wrong basically everything he's done, from Matt Patricia to Mac Jones to even Bill O'Brien this year. Like Nothing's working. And, and I think that's a good example of the only coaches he will go to are people he knows. Right? It's like, bro, you have to look outside yourself. But he's proven. Like It's pointless to even say it. He's never going to do that. He never will do that. The other conversation is like, just get him a GM. Get him a guy. He's not listening to anybody at this point in time. Like, just, he, just fire him. Just move on. We all know. Anyone who was dumb enough, beside a Colts fan or Patriot fan, to get up early, for those of you on the East Coast, not that early, for those of us on the West Coast, you know, you got to make a little bit of an effort to watch the first half of that game. Can't watch that game and think, like, yeah, I'd, I'd give Bill another go-around. His resume speaks for itself. But he's been paid for that. Like, he was competent. That's what the money was for. Won a lot of games, was paid a shitload of money, is still paid a shitload of money. But they're headed for two or three wins. And Mac Jones is just an unplayable guy. And I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. Drafting him at 15 is a joke. I said it when Kyle Shanahan thought about drafting him at three. That would be the most arrogant draft pick in the history of professional sports. Luckily, he didn't do it. And the guy he drafted is a third stringer. Like, all those quarterbacks suck. But to me, Mac Jones, historically, is like a third or fourth round guy. And just because you have success at a powerhouse program doesn't mean you're going to be good in the NFL. His traits did not translate, especially when you don't have much talent around him. And we're seeing him get worse and worse. And that's part of, any time you lose confidence, I don't care what you do in life, let alone play quarterback, which is extremely hard, you're going to have no shot. And he doesn't have any confidence. He doesn't have the skills to overcome that. And you're watching a, a guy who's destined to be a backup. That's what Mac Jones is. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a hell of a profession. Ask Chase Daniels what it's like to be a 14-year backup. Make a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, you get, to, you get to do some fun stuff. Not everyone's meant to be a starting quarterback. Let's face it. I'd say 10, 10 of the starting quarterbacks are typically guys holding on for dear life for their starting quarterback. Right? There's Of the 32 guys, there's 12 to 14 that are just... They're your starting quarterback. Definitely seven or eight that you feel really good about. The next seven, you know it's very hard to upgrade. And then everyone else, you're constantly looking and will upgrade at the moment's notice. And Mac Jones at the bottom end of that, really trending toward being a backup. Just like Baker Mayfield. Just like a lot of these guys. Sam Darnold. And there's, listen, that's you're in the NFL. You're one of the best 45 quarterbacks. That's what he is. But when you expect him to carry and make plays for a good team, everyone's like, I can't believe he made that pass. To end the game, you can't? Have you not been watching him? That is the pass that he throws right to the other team. 
Whoever is wearing the different color, the other jersey, in big spots, that's who gets the ball. The Patriots aren't going to catch the ball. Someone else on the other team is. That's not being, I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm not trying to be even sarcastic or make fun of him. That's just an objective fact. He throws the ball to the other team constantly. And a team that is just not very talented has no shot. So let's face it, Bill has not been a GM these last several years. His coaching staff has been abysmal, been bottom in the NFL. And now his quarterback play is atrocious. So yeah, this is this is what you get. And if you're the Crafts, what would Bill have done to this version of Bill Belichick in his heyday? Fired him. Belichick's getting fired or traded or just not the coach of the New England Patriots. Something that was kind of a bright spot. And listen, I, I've I defended this move because I was like, I I think there's a lot of good that can come out of it. The one negative is he gets injured and you owe him a ton of money, but you were already cool with doing that when you paid him the contract. So when Kyler, and let's face it, all these organizations, the coach and GM only have so much power. If the owner wants to do something, the owner's going to do something. So the moment owner signed Kyler Murray to that check and that contract, like he was going to get some shots, as he should. So when Kyler Murray was uh, named the starting quarterback essentially this week and then played yesterday, like one, he could look good and become a tradable asset. Two, he could look good and you like him and you just keep him. And to me, that outweighs any of the negative stuff because you were already cool when you paid him the money that the whole thing could be a disaster. Hell, they knew it when they did it because they gave him the video game contract or clause in the contract. So yesterday, I was pretty impressed for a guy that hasn't played in a year to go 19-32. to 32. And to me, the impressive part is physically, I, I don't know if he's 100%, but he's definitely closer to 100 than he is 75-80. He looked explosive uh, as a runner. Here's the thing. Like, my issue with Bryce Young, he, I, I just don't see anything, right? I just, I, I think for him to be a solid player, he's going to have to have the perfect team around him, perfect coach. Kyler's attributes are elite. He has an elite arm. He has elite speed. He's a really accurate quarterback. Uh, he can throw from the pocket and without. Now, he's not, I, I wouldn't stake my claim as the number one guy I would want, but I do understand why people like him. I've seen him, hell, I've seen him light up the 49ers. I've seen him light up a lot of good teams over when he's playing well. Like, he is a big-time talent. And I, I think you saw some of that on display. Now, the one negative of playing him is you're going to win a lot of these swing games. If Kyler Murray doesn't play against the Atlanta Falcons, no, no matter how big of a disaster their kind of quarterback turnstile situation is, Arizona loses. You play them in a lot of these games, like when you play the Rams, when you play teams like Atlanta, that could be the difference of six wins or three wins. And I think they're cool with doing that because that's probably a positive for them. They got a couple picks because, remember, they traded down with Houston, so they have their pick, which probably going to be like in the early 20s. So if their pick ends up at 10, you got two picks in the top 20, and maybe just keep Kyler and roll with it. I think that is definitely on the table. And if you want to, you always could trade him. And he keeps making plays like that. You don't think the Atlanta Falcons or one of these teams will give you, I don't know, his contract's big, but two twos and a three? Maybe you get a one, but you definitely, because of the if, if they take the money, I, I think definitely get some second-round picks. So you could reload, pivot, and draft one of these quarterbacks and just kind of restart your franchise. So I think their options are 
are plentiful and, and to me a lot of good options. And like I said, I, if I was a betting man right now and we only have one game to go off of, the way they named him a team captain, maybe they like him. Maybe, maybe that's not fake. Maybe they legitimately like him as a guy because we can only go off our experiences around other individuals, hearsay and perception from other people. Obviously, that can influence us. But then once we're around the guy, if we do like him and things are going right, why wouldn't we feel strongly about that individual? Now, you got to prove it over time when there's a lot of negativity surrounding you, as there is with Kyler, with some of his previous relationships with the head coach and some of the teammates. But maybe he's doing a really good job. And let's face it, if you're a competitor, uh, some of us guys mature a little later. If you get humbled in the way he did, like everyone was talking shit about him. And a lot of it was self-inflicted. From the video game clause to the way he acted to just the whole situation, to getting everyone fired. Like, ultimately, those guys were fired because of him. And maybe it's humbling as a young guy. Maybe it makes you look in the mirror and want to change and want to improve. And sometimes that happens. Like, not everyone that was, yeah, this guy's kind of a D-bag, just a D-bag for life. Some people change. Like, actually, this guy's really grown up. That, that, that can't happen. So I, I'm not saying that has. I don't, I don't know. I don't have any inside information here. Jonathan Gannon uh, is not my buddy. But I, I do think that is potentially on the table. A couple quick college things. First and foremost with Jim Harbaugh, if you're going to make a decision as a leader, have some fucking balls. Like, if you are going to follow the mob, and there's nothing I respect less than people to just follow the mob from leadership positions, like, have conviction in what you want to do. Don't get influenced by the yappers, by everyone talking, whether it's companies based on social media, whether it's all these coaches to Tony Petiti in, in the Big Ten. If you want to suspend them, listen, that's your prerogative. You're in that position. Do it. But suspend them. Like, you're suspended for the end of the season. You can come back in the playoffs or whatever, right? Because we don't have any jurisdiction over that. But every Big Ten game moving forward, you're not allowed to coach. I wouldn't necessarily agree with it because, as I've been saying forever, everyone's cheating. Welcome to business. Every fucking person's pushing the envelope. Some people push it farther. But I'm watching the show on Uber right now on Netflix. Highly recommend it. It's a good watch. The coach from Friday Night Lights is... Is plays a big role in in the show as like an investor in or in Uber, but it's like they would not have became what they became without pushing the envelope. Some of it you could argue was illegal, but all these companies that are running America probably did a lot of illegal activity, right? Just like you, if you're listening to this and you run a small business, you've done things that can make you uncomfortable, right? You're like, ah, should we do this? And sometimes it works out great, and you look back five years and you laugh about it. You're like, can you believe when we did that? That's the way the world works. <laughs> the action's on the edges, baby. So I, I don't have an issue with what they did because I also think everyone's doing it, at least two degrees of it. So anyone acting high and mighty, I'm just calling bullshit on. But when I look at the suspension, like you can't let him coach during the week and then suspend him on game day. That is just gutless. And I don't have, I don't know anything about this Tony Petiti guy, but all I need to know is the actions which he gave on the suspension, like... He was forced from the coaches to do something, but he didn't want to go all the way. Because he didn't think he could. Maybe he didn't have the evidence. I don't know. But he didn't do it. So uh, I, I just think it's so stupid. And, and hopefully for all of our sake, like, listen, I, 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 I full disclosure, like, I have no problem telling you my biases. I hate the Lakers. I don't like Ohio State. Honestly, I don't really have a problem historically with Ohio State. I just don't really like Ryan Day. 
I don't even know why. I just don't really like him. Maybe it's the way he dyes his beard. Maybe it's, as Harbaugh said, born on third base. I don't really like his coaching style. They've been better this year defensively, obviously. But I just, I can't get behind it. Chip Kelly guy, I don't know. I root against them. But this is even my bias for Harbaugh, which I am a fan. I just think it's stupid. And I don't know how you couldn't disagree with going, either fully suspend him or do nothing and wait for the quote-unquote due process to play out. USC's a joke. It it really is. And anyone that listened to the podcast with Coward that I did on Sunday night, like I I do believe this. I'm not just saying this. If I was Lincoln Riley, I would look at USC and be like, listen, this is not going to work out. I belong in Texas and go to coach Texas A&M. I think that would be a much better fit. And I, I do believe, I'm not like just saying this, like it, it doesn't work. I, I, and I've believed this for a while, where you're from in college football influences how high your upside is. It's why where I'm from, the Pac-12, the West Coast, most of our best coaches have been West Coast guys. right? Pete Carroll, born in San Francisco, went to University of Pacific. Chris Peterson, Jeff Tedford, LA guy. UC Davis, Fresno State guy. So when he kicked ass at Cal and he kicked out at Washington and Boise State, that's where they're from. Michael Bellotti, coach at Oregon that resurrected that program. You know where he's from? Went to UC Davis. No different in the South. Kirby Smart, where do you think he's from? Steve Spurrier, where do you think he's from? Nick Saban's dad owned a gas station in West Virginia. Fits the South. Understands the South. Where's he had success? LSU, Alabama. Right? In theory, Jimbo should have worked, but... He just lost his touch, or maybe he was always kind of overrated, but Jimbo's only going to work in the South. Dabo Sweeney, where does he work? The South. So to me, where you're from matters. And this Lincoln-Riley thing just doesn't work. USC needs a little juice. Uh, He hates defense. The program was built on defense. In his heyday, they had like all 11 of their guys were NFL players. And not just any NFL players, highly drafted NFL players. So... I don't think it's going to happen, but I just don't see him turning it around. And I just I just don't see it working out. I, I really don't. And it's nothing against the guy. Philosophically, we don't exactly view football the same way. But I, I have always been a Lincoln-Riley fan. And I think for him to have... The Southwest is where he belongs. From Texas, had a lot of success at Oklahoma. To me, he would have much more success at Texas A&M. And honestly, Lane Kiffin makes a lot of sense at USC. More of a bright lights guy more willing to just handle everything that comes with it. Like, he's peaked at Ole Miss. You win eight, nine games, you get him ranked in the top 25. That's as good as that program is. And I, I know he's been at USC before, and I know he got fired on the tarmac, but I, I personally, I think those two fits make a lot more sense than Lincoln at USC and, and Lane, who's, I got news for you Ole Miss fans, he's been trying to get out for a couple years. Now he's got some baggage off the field, makes some 80s uncomfortable. When Dan Lanning got the job at Oregon, Lane wanted it, and they went with Lanning over Lane. But Lane's a legitimate head coach. Uh, Jaden Daniels, his stats are stupid. I watched a lot of that Florida-LSU game. I, I'd be lying if I've watched much of LSU the last probably month. Obviously, I've seen the guy's stats, watched him early in the season. I mean, I followed his career. He's from ASU. Sometimes the transfer portal... The smartest thing you can ever do, like, here's where I respect. A lot of people have all these opinions on NIL and Transfer Portal. Like, Jaden Daniels, think about, the guy started at ASU, a program that sucks. Herm Edwards has been cool to me whenever I've been around him, but think about this. Herm Edwards coached ASU for five years. He gets fired, he goes back to TV, and you go, God, I bet five years in college football, the Pac-12 recruiting, they don't let him touch anything in college. 
Why? He doesn't know anything. He didn't even know the players on his own roster. So Jaden Daniels gets out of there, goes to LSU, and has become, I don't want to say the Heisman frontrunner, because I think betting-wise, Bo Nix still is, but he's having an incredible season. And for a team, I mean, LSU, to me, when I think about him historically, really good defense. That ain't the case here. Without him, who knows where they'd be? Uh, it, I, I have a lot of respect when guys transfer to better schools. Isn't that the point we all want to do better for ourselves? If we're in a shitty neighborhood, what do you want to get to? A better neighborhood. If you're making 50 grand, what do you ultimately want? 150 grand. If you're making 200 grand, what do you want? 600 grand. Like, you're always aspiring for more. So if I'm at ASU, why wouldn't I want to go to LSU? And before that was, you were allowed to transfer, but it was so much more difficult. You had to sit out a year. It forced a lot of guys to probably want to leave, but hold on. And listen, there are parts of it that I don't love, but I I completely understand uh, this move, and it's worked wonders for this guy because you keep having these moments in the SEC. I think when the dust settles, he's going to get drafted in the first round. And last but not least, I mean, speaking of USC, watching, I watched about three-quarters of that Oregon-USC game. It it was JV versus varsity. And listen, USC is not very good, but it wasn't the, the score did not reflect what I what I witnessed. Honestly, if it wasn't for Caleb Williams pulling plays out of his ass, Oregon mollywopped those guys. They have a national championship level team. Now, are they going to win it? I, I don't know if I'd feel great putting my money on them. I, I still think Georgia is a mother. Uh, whoever comes out of the Ohio State Michigan game is going to be really really tough. Texas's team. I don't trust their coach, but their team is just incredibly talented. Though I think I saw their running back got injured. It's hard to know exactly Florida State, but uh, Florida State definitely doesn't suck. But uh, you watch Oregon, and they're going to get their chance, play Washington in the uh, a rematch in the championship game in Las Vegas. That game's going to be rem- fucking awesome. Can't wait for that thing. But I, it's on the table. The Dan Landing has a shot second year. Remember, Bob Stoops, second year at Oklahoma, national championship. You do something like that, it changes the course of your career as a coach. And, you know, you can, some of these names, A&M's throwing out there, like, we're interested in Dan Campbell. No one leaves a good NFL job, and a good NFL job is just one you're winning at to go to college football. And NIL transfer portal, news for you, Dan Campbell should get an extension, pay him $12, $15 million a year. He ain't leaving the Lions for your job. And if I'm Dan Landing, like, I'm just not leaving Oregon. They can pay me. I'm going to the Big Ten, so I'm in one of the main two conferences. And it's just a little easier route. The other thing, why would I want to deal with A&M? Some of these programs have a false sense of who they are. Like, A&M, you're just not that great of a football program. You're never going to be. You're going to have some moments. You're going to produce some NFL guys. You're never going to be Alabama. You're never going to be LSU. You're never going to be Georgia. <laughs> Hell, I don't, I don't ever see you becoming what Oregon's become. You can get great players. Something's just off. I don't know what. I've never even been there, but I've just watched college football for 30 years. And I always hear, I got all this money. They got all these recruits. Like, I don't give a fuck. They stink. (laughs) And I have no faith that they're going to get this right. Okay, let's go a little mailbag. How we're going to do this? Fire in those DMs at John Middlecoff on Instagram, at John Middlecoff on Instagram, and get your question answered here on the show. Very, very easy. A huge Niner fan. Wanted to ask your thoughts on Jaden Daniels and if you think Kyle would be able to develop a quarterback like him. I know we have Purdy, but do you think we could trade Purdy and pick and a pick to try to get Jaden Daniels or would it even be worth it? By the way, any meat we can get, any any way we can get more content, 
uh, have really good insight of what goes through the league. Appreciate you. I would say no. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan loves Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is going nowhere. They're, they're not going to trade for a quarterback unless he gets seriously injured. So Brock Purdy is going to be the 49ers quarterback for these next couple of years. He makes $800,000. And, I mean, against the Jags, he was freaking awesome. He, he outplayed Trevor Lawrence. So I'm not acting like the guys Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, but he's just not going anywhere. And they're not going to get in the quarterback carousel after going through the Jimmy Trey Lance situation. They feel comfortable with this guy. The team really likes him. That's the other thing. Like Fred Warner, Nick Bosa, Debo, Ayuk, Kittle, Trent, their best players swear by this guy. So when you get the buy-in from your star players on a quarterback and he's not a scrub, uh, you just you got to write it out and see what he can do. And I, I would say this. Some of Brock's picks have been atrocious. And the one in Minnesota, now he had a concussion. He, he threw two picks. But the ones in Cincinnati were just inexcusable. And they, they it wasn't all his fault the defense was atrocious. But it definitely sealed the deal. But he's a really explosive quarterback. They, they, I mean, he averages... I mean, you just look at the box score after most games. He's like 10, 11 yards an attempt. You look at a lot of these quarterbacks, like six, seven yards attempts. He pushes the ball down the field. He throws bombs relative to the 49ers offense, which has always kind of been a little dink and dunk with Jimmy and Kyle. Why does Trevor Lawrence get a pass with the majority of the media? He has more turnovers 10 than touchdowns 9. In this season, people still talk about him like he's more than a game manager. His stats are identical to Mac Jones through 40 games. He clearly has a top 10 offensive weapons in the league, and his defense has been mostly solid. Is it simply because he's been so hyped up since his high school years, or is it the media's inability to admit they overhyped a player? The upside is clearly there, but getting tired of people acting like he's already there. Whenever I talk to buddies in the NFL, and I was always victim of this uh, as like it comes naturally to me to get in on the hype cycle and hype things up, the NFL doesn't is not big on hype. Like you can't go to a draft room and just use hype. Like this guy's really sweet. This guy number one overall pick. This guy's a top ten pick. Well, why? Explain it to me. Show me. Right. And most people of us that talk about it for a living, but specifically, you know, people that don't know anything about football, it's easy to just kind of ride that avalanche of a hype train. And his hype train got pretty high. Now, people I knew in the NFL. Loved him as a prospect. He is a legit prospect coming out of college. The height, the weight, uh, the athleticism. His arm is is really good. I wouldn't call it great. Uh, the accuracy. But let's face it. Th- there is some deer-in-the-headlights moments with him. And when you hit him, now you could argue when you hit any quarterback, but a lot of times with a mobile quarterback, they should be able to kind of create some things and get away from some things, like Mahomes can do, like Josh Allen can do, like Lamar Jackson can do. Uh, like Russell Wilson used to do, why the Browns gave Deshaun Watson all that money to do, Kyler Murray, like make some shit happen. And you watch games like yesterday, which is his low point, but it's like, bro, you got anything else in the bag? Sometimes you can watch something like that and go, I don't see it. And yesterday I was getting texts from scouts that are like, God, this guy's really overrated. And you're not alone. Now, I compare him to Mac Jones. There ain't a team in the league. There's not a coach in the league. There's not a GM in the league. There's not an owner in the league. If you had Trevor Lawrence and the other team had Mac Jones, no one would trade Trevor Lawrence for Mac Jones. Not a soul. Not one. 
And this is why you can't box score scout. One guy is way more talented. Like, Mac Jones doesn't have that much talent relative to NFL players. He's a low-end talent. Not debatable. That's an objective fact. Average arm, not great movement, um, not that accurate, not not an explosive player, not that instinctive, clearly. So... I think that that's a that's a little harsh, but I hear what you're saying. Numbers don't lie sometimes. Huge Steeler fan, but I wanted to get your thoughts on Kenny Pickett. The last two games has been some of the worst games of his career. He's missing throws, walking into sacks, etc. Also, weird stat of his. In his last 12 games that he finishes the games, he's 11 and 1. Well, I think we've talked about this before. I didn't watch that much of the game yesterday just because, like, I, I'm not watching the Packers. Like, I'm not watching Jordan Love. And I, I've watched you guys for 30-plus years. Favre Rodgers, they, they mattered. Uh, from what I do, I, I've talked about them nonstop on this show. When I was in the NFL, they were just something we were always talking about. When I was on radio, we talked. I mean, they just they mattered. They, they were one of the biggest brands in the NFL. And their brand is still massive, but the team is unwatchable. Like, I, I'm not a Jordan Love guy. Don't see it. Uh, he will not be the quarterback next year. But when they're playing somebody, they're, to me, like a third TV team. Like, just peek over there. I don't think the Packers are going to win. Like, you guys were never going to lose that game. I don't care how close it got. I don't care how great the DB play was to bounce it off him, to get the pick up, the pick at the end of the game. But I don't see it, man. I, I just... Uh, with Jordan Love. Kenny Pickett, he's had some remarkable fourth-quarter drives after playing shitty, so you've won a lot of those games. So a lot of that 11-1 and one is a lot of bad games and then coming through in the clutch. I don't know, man. I, I, I think there's a little... When you get in business with the Mac Joneses, with the Jimmy Garoppolo's, with the Kenny Pickett's, everything with Derek Carr, everything has to be perfect around them for them to excel. Offensive line, running back, weapons, offensive coordinator slash play calling. It all has to be in sync. Because if it's not, it will not look good. If one thing is off, right? For Mac Jones, he's not that good. Coordinator, Bill O'Brien, probably not that good. Team's not that good. You're just going to lose every week. Kenny Pickett, you have good talent around him. Warren can make plays. Pickens can make plays. Deontay Thompson can make plays. The defense can make plays. But the coordinator's not great. And then his confidence wanes. And he's not talented enough to kind of pull stuff out of his ass. So I, I my issue always is whenever you draft an average talent super high, you, you're going to have more downs than ups. You, you just are. So I was not a big Kenny Pickett guy coming out of college, though I kind of bought into it this offseason, and I was just wrong. I, I should have stuck with my guns. Those aren't my type quarterbacks. They, they really struggle to excel in the NFL. I would say Cousins is kind of an outlier over the last, like, 15 years, right, for a guy that's not. Drew Brees is, like, the best version, a short, average arm. Cousins is bigger, and his arm got better as he got older. But for the most part, like, those guys don't really excel. They just don't. It's it's very, very difficult to have a good career. Hey, John, got one for the mailbag. Did Colin put a moratorium on talking about anything related to Deshaun Watson. I feel like Lamar had beat the best defense in football. It would have been a big point of praise for you to recap. Seriously, an hour show and you don't talk about the best game of the day with the biggest playoff implications? Seems like malpractice and blatant disregard for football fans who would have loved to hear your thoughts 
on the most physical game with the biggest stars. Would love to know. No, there's no never any moratorium. I talked about it earlier on this show. You can see it either on the podcast or one of our other videos. I'll give you my thoughts on Deshaun Watson and the Ravens, but there's no, we just talk about what we're talking about. <laughs> I just talk about what we're excited to talk about. Uh, we can't make everybody happy. And I don't think it's malpractice. It just didn't come up. Other things came up. And I'm sorry, Browns fans. Like, you, you don't just get to be shitty for 20 years and win a big game and think everyone has to talk about you. Like, you gave $230 million to a fucking quarterback who had half of Texas coming after his ass. So, that, yeah, you're going to get some more negativity than positivity. You ain't the Yankees. You ain't the Lakers. This isn't the Cowboys. Like, the football business has been booming without you guys. So sometimes you get forgotten. You just do. Why do the Ravens tend to probably get more praise than you guys? I don't know. Google their resume. There's nothing personal against the franchise. It's all based on history. In your history, pretty freaking ugly. Is Mike Tomlin the most underrated coach in the NFL today? I don't know why I got so mad they were talking about the Browns. He's winning with Kenny Pickett, and I don't see as a major upgrade over Mac Jones, yet the Steelers and the Patriots are headed in the opposite direction. In 23, if Belichick and Tomlin were both available to coach my franchise, I'd go with Mike. He's never had a losing season and seems to understand the importance of being able to communicate. Am I crazy to think Mike is better than Bill at this point in time in his career? Two things Mike has. Clearly, Bill is over-dealing with players. Any issues, him and Mac, like, he's not dealing with young guys and dealing with their shit. And Tomlin is clearly a just easier dude to talk to, right? And I'm, Mike is not Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky either, right? It's not all sunshine and rainbows with Mike Tomlin. But I think it's easier for him to deal with guys than it is Belichick in 2023, Right? And that matters because of just the way guys are wired, young people coming into the league. The other thing Mike has that Bill refuses to have, Mike doesn't pick the players. They've had a strong GM. Their owner plays a big role in philosophically who they draft. Belichick, every single player on that team, is rubber stamped by William Belichick. Mike Tomlin ain't picking every player. So the reason the Steelers have been so talented my entire life from Cower to Tomlin, is their GM plays a role. Their front office plays a role. Front office ain't fucking doing shit in New England. Bill's picking the players. Bill's picking them all. So it's like, yeah, Bill as a coach, right, just coaching a team on a given week. If you, if you gave Tomlin the same team as Tomlin's team's way better. Why? Because he ain't picking the player. Most coaches can't pick the players, right? You don't want most coaches picking all the players, right? I'm not saying they don't have influence, but most coaches would be bad GMs. Bill has proven in his 70s to be currently an awful GM. Tomlin doesn't even have to be the GM. Why? Because I got guys to do that. I feel like due to quarterback inflation, we try and convince ourselves on these quarterbacks every year when time and time, history shows, two, maybe three of these quarterbacks will be serviceable at best. Caleb Williams never jumped off my screen as a super elite talent. Every good defense he plays, he crumbles. And then we get Drake May. I've lived in Raleigh, ACC country, and they simply don't play anybody. It's literally Mitch Trubisky all over again. I just think we overvalue almost purely based on the description, uh, on the desperation. What do you think? Are most of these guys overhyped? I remember watching Drake May. Who were they playing? Whatever game they lost. They lost to Wake Forest. I forget. They, they lost NC State. I forget they, their first loss. They've lost 
They lost another game since, and hell, they almost lost the other night. I think to Duke in overtime. I was excited to watch him, and I'd watch clips and bits and pieces of his games, but I mean, start to finish, I forget who they were playing. It was whoever they lost to first on the CW. He was just not very good, relative to the hype. Again, good prospect. He's 6'5", he's big, he's got a solid arm. But I, w- I wasn't going, God, this is the next coming of Andrew Luck. This is the next Josh Allen. Like, good player. Potentially goes to the right spot. Caleb, I've been all over the place on Caleb. I'll say this watching the Oregon game. Their offensive line, there were dudes on Oregon. There was a guy, minimum, every play in the backfield. I mean, their offensive line is so shitty at USC. Lincoln Riley should be ashamed of himself. Whoever their offensive line coach is should be relieved of his duties. Because Caleb Williams was running for his life. And I saw Daniel Jeremiah, who I used to work with in Philly and have known forever, say, you know, I want to evaluate Caleb inside the pocket. We know outside the pocket, ad-libbing, he's elite. But in the NFL, the game is a lot of the game, even though like Mahomes, Allen, all these guys, Burrow, make plays outside the pocket. But you do have to excel inside the pocket. How do you excel inside the pocket if there's a dude hitting you every single play? So I think he's overhyped. Just He's a six-foot quarterback. Yeah, he's got great skills, big arm, accurate down the field, strong, he's thick. But let's we anoint all these guys next Peyton Manning, next Andrew Luck. No, none of these guys are. Caleb Williams is a really good prospect. Drake May is a really good prospect. But there are definitely red flags. You better have a good team. You better have a good coach. You better have a good play caller. Look at Bryce Young. I liked him a lot in college. I underestimated how tiny he would look. But then he goes, Frank, I'm sorry, I don't think Frank Reich's any good. Their talent definitely is not any good. So if you don't have the physical skills and I put you on that team, like Caleb Williams is a much better prospect than Bryce Young. But if I put Caleb Williams on Carolina, they would be shitty. They wouldn't be any good. They might be a little better, but they wouldn't be that much better. And you never know. The other thing you can't value because it's impossible, are the intangibles. Your focus, your drive, your uh, your ability to study. Like one thing I heard T-Bob on the guys on Snaps talking about, and he's a big LSU guy. He played there, and he covers them you know, on a local radio show, so he just knows a lot about the program. Is Like Jaden Daniels studying film three days a week, like 5, 5.30 in the morning. He put a lot of emphasis on his game and getting better, right? So that matters. Most of the great players in my lifetime really try. Patrick Mahomes. Gives you A-plus effort. Gives you everything he's got. Joe Burrow, all in on football. Sing with Trevor Lawrence. He even said, like, football's not my everything. Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to give you $200 million. Someone's giving me $200 million to do, let's say, I'm a podcaster. So if you're going to give me $200 million, you're getting my fucking all. It's my life. Saying, you know, this is little balance. It's part of life. Like, everyone, and I know it's very in vogue, like, balance in life. Yeah, for sure. If you work nine to five, I don't expect you to take home your company's problems. That's on them. Especially if you're not making that much money. You can do whatever you want. Punch in, punch out. That's fine. But when you get paid millions upon millions, it's the organization's fault if they give those that money to a guy that's not all in. Like Peyton Manning was addicted. Tom Brady, addicted. Steph Curry, addicted. Not the biggest LeBron guy, but I give him credit. Like, he's all in. Well, unless your team sucks, then he'll pivot and quit. But if your team's good, he gives you max effort. He gives you max energy toward his craft. Like, when you get to high dollar amounts, 
you know, the, the pie chart of your balance in life better lean to whatever you're getting paid to do. I'm sorry if that makes some people uncomfortable. Hell, when I was making no money in this profession, wanting to make it, when I was in the NFL to when I started talking about football, like my balance was kind of limited. I don't go on that many vacations. My, my life, you know, in my 20s and 30s, you know, was dedicated around football for six, eight months a year. Limited stuff going on. That's part of life. You know, it's just, that, that's the way it goes. Now, there have been a lot of players in sports that aren't addicted. And most of those guys, I, I would say, underachieve. And a lot of those guys, when they get paid big money, never live up to the, to the billing. Why? Because it's impossible to be great, in my opinion, if you're not addicted to your craft. It just, it just is. And may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are certain crafts where you can get away with it. And again, part of like my job now, having interesting stuff to talk to, I'm not saying like I don't go out to dinner or don't go play golf sometimes and hang out. It's not what I'm saying. But th- there's no vacations on Saturday and Sunday for me. You know, because listen, I'm not acting like I'm digging ditches. I'm not. But like, I don't, I got to watch football. <laughs> That's my job. Whatever your job is, you know, if you're, if you want to have success, it probably takes an allotment of your time that is more than some will be willing to do. And that's just the reality with some of these prospects when you evaluate them, right? So if Drake May or Caleb Williams or Bo Nix or Michael Penix or Jaden Daniels or J.J. McCarthy or whoever these players are, what's going to – because a lot of them, like I've seen all of them. They all have a lot of talent, right? Caleb, big arm. Drake, pretty good arm. Bo Nix, Penix can throw the ball well. All good athletes. J.J. McCarthy, same thing. Like are are these guys going to be addicted to their craft? Are they going to fucking give everything they have? to the sport of football, because if they do, uh, and that doesn't even guarantee you anything, but if they do, they're going to have a chance because that's what most of the good to great players have had in the NFL, right? Like I'll give you an example, like Derek Carr. I think he devotes a large percentage of his time, of his life to his craft. He's just not good enough anymore. And whether that's because he flinches now in the pocket, because he doesn't trust some of his previous injuries, whatever, he's just not as good as he once was, right? But it's not like... He maximized his talent. Do the Vikings just trade, let Cousins walk, and keep Dobbs? Well, they can't trade Cousins because his contract runs out and he's not franchisable. So I, I think they're in a complicated situation. He was going to be really expensive when you factored in how well he was playing. But the Achilles changes a lot. You know, I know Aaron Rodgers thinks he can come back in three months from an Achilles injury. Most guys take a year. And most guys after that year aren't as good. Take a couple years, right? And depending on who you are, your athleticism, your physical makeup, things I I can't even pretend to know about, you might never be the same, right? Now, there was a lot of wear and tear on Kobe Bryant, but he was obviously never the same after that injury. Klay Thompson, who had less wear and tear than Kobe, has never even remotely been the same after his Achilles injury. So... Kirk Cousins' game is not predicated like theirs on jumping and cutting. But still, like, I mean, it's pretty important. And I I just, I have a lot of respect for him, how much he maximized his game, how good he became. But I'd be lying if I said I was confident that he's going to come back and be a Pro Bowl level guy, right? And just like if I was them, would I be comfortable? What's the number? Because would I take him back on one-year $10 million deal or something like that, 100%. But am I doing a one-year $30 million deal for a guy coming off Achilles that's 36 years old? Josh Dobbs, what did we say about it last week? It's 
having the skill of being adaptable, something I, I don't know about you guys, I struggle with. You know, sometimes like I can be very rigid, but just, hey, deal with whatever's thrown at you. Just roll with the punches, which is easier said than done, right? Getting traded, new playbook, not knowing guys' names. Most of us, that would be very, very difficult. I don't care how char- how good a character guy you are, how open-minded you are, how willing you wor- are to work. That would have been very difficult. And he is, he's having one of the cooler seasons in like NFL history. Not one of the best. Like he's not think throwing for 50 touchdowns or he's going to win a Super Bowl. But I think he's just having a season like, remember Joshua Dobbs in 2023? You know that meme? that's going around right now with Vince McMahon of him talking about The Undertaker and being choked up. You do that when you th- talk about Joshua Dobbs in 2023. Guy, guy was, I wouldn't even say written off. He was just irrelevant. <laughs> and then you just find out more about the guy and he's easy to root for. Then he gets traded after they said they wouldn't trade him. I mean, two weeks ago, Jonathan Gannon told him he wouldn't trade him. And then he said, he told me I was going to start. And then he starts naming the other guy's starters. And he goes to Minnesota, which is a way better spot than Arizona, given that they're, they're going to make the playoffs. But I watched a decent amount of that game because I was interested in New Orleans. They were beating the shit out of the Saints. They were clowning the Saints. It was 24-3. It wasn't even close. If it wouldn't have been for Jameis coming into that game and giving them a little life, I think the Vikings might have won that thing like 40-10. to 10. But what a story, man. What a cool story. What an easy guy to root for. So sports needs more of just easy guys to root for. Another question: Has he earned the starting job? I mean, he's only started two games, <laughs> so he, he he's awesome story. It's been fun, but I I would say no on the on the earn the starting job. Fuck Dennis Allen. That was just the DM. Bo Nix favored to win the Heisman. If not him, then who? I think it's him and Jaden. I think it's kind of a two-horse race. I guess Penix would still be somewhat alive. They play Oregon State this week at Oregon State. That Oregon State's like 12 in the country. Then they finish with the Apple Cup against Washington State, and then if they win those two games, they'll be in the conference championship game. I thought the voting happens before the conference championship game, but I could be wrong. I guess the, oh, the voting happens before the bowl games and the playoffs. That's what it is. So the conference championship games count. But I, I would say that if my bet right now, I would lean Bo Nix. But I think Jaden Daniels is having himself a moment. And th- to me, the only difference is if if they win the Pac-12, I think Bo Nix is the guy. And if he goes on to beat Oregon State in two weeks and then beat Washington, Jaden won't have that ability because Alabama, the SEC championship game is now set. It's Alabama versus Georgia. So pretty crazy. If I would have told you two years ago that Jaden Daniels was going to win the Heisman Trophy, not a soul, or Bo Nix, honestly, it would have been crazier to say Bo Nix. Those two guys are going to be at the Heisman ceremony, and it's basically they're going to get the majority of the votes. That's wild. That, that really is. Shows you the transfer portal has done wonders for quarterbacks. It, it's done wonders for a lot of players, but it's, it's changed the game for quarterbacks who have failed in a spot. Uh, who need a change of scenery and then go on to just kill it and then make it to the Heisman House. Appreciate everyone listening. Adios. The Volume. 
It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.